Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor, Daryl Feemster. Oh, you may be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. You get the substitute this morning. Pastor Chris is preaching over at Lampasas Bible Church this morning. He has a heart to, to minister to all the churches in Lampasas, and, and he's there this morning, and uh, he's done a wonderful job. He has an incredible heart, and we look forward to what God's going to do. Welcome to you that are viewing online. We're glad you've joined us, and uh, I'm excited for what God has given me to share with you this morning. How many of you have ever been in a mess? Yeah, me and Gary. <clears throat> you know, it's easy to experience messes in life because sometimes life just goes sideways. Things are not what we expect sometimes. You've prayed, you've prepared, you've trusted, you've tuned your heart, but things don't always turn out the way that you thought. And I've lived through my share of messes, some I've caused. Some I've stepped in. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you won't have a mess. Or even that you won't cause one. Messes happen. But what if I told you this morning that you could look for miracles from your messes? That can happen if you look to Jesus in your mess. He has a thousand... No, He has a million ways that He can handle your messes. I want you to turn to John chapter 2 with me. In John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, a passage of Scripture. In fact, it was the first sign that Jesus did. John's Gospel has seven signs. And this is the first of the signs or the miracles that Jesus did. And uh, we know it as turning the water into wine. I know that because my Bible has a caption above it. It says, Christ changes water to wine. If I was listing all the miracles of Jesus, I would put this one way down on the list. If, in fact, I would include it at all. But John puts it first because it was the first. And... I'm teaching pastor here, so let me give you some theology. There's a hermeneutic tool that you can use interpreting Scripture. It's called the principle of first mention. The principle of first mention. In other words, when something is first mentioned in Scripture, how it is defined and how it's used can can really define for you how it's used and how you should interpret it later on according to context. Well, this is the first miracle that Jesus did. And using the first principle, which I want to do this morning, the first principle of, uh, uh, the principle of first mention, I'll say it right in a minute, the principle of first mention, it means that because this first miracle had certain aspects to it, you can expect and define and look for in all the other miracles that Jesus did, these same aspects. And it's key to understand this one in order to understand really the motive and the intention behind all of His miracles. You know, when I've heard sermons and I've read sermons on on this uh, passage of Scripture, and basically it's usually hard for preachers to preach because it doesn't make sense to our 
practicality. <laughs> Most sermons, preachers tend to deal with symbolism like the water and the wine and, and the symbol of the stone pots and the new wine or the, the wedding feast at the beginning of his ministry foreshadowing the wedding feast at the end of days. Here's my word for you. Don't overthink it. I want us to look at the mess and see the miracle from the mess. John chapter 2, we're going to go verse by verse, so just hang on with me. Verse, John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding. Jesus and His disciples are invited to a wedding. And then preachers go all out for this. You know, a wedding lasted three to seven days. And basically, in that day, a wedding was basically a party. They were celebrating, yes, the couple of stuff, but a lot of people went to the wedding just for the party. But why was Jesus there? Some think that maybe He was kin to some of the family. The Bible doesn't say that. Let me tell you why Jesus was there. He was invited. He'll come to your party too. If you invite Him. It's take a long time to preach this sermon if I went this slow. Let's go to verse 3. And when they ran out of wine, we're just now introduced to the mess. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. They run out of wine. That, that would be tragic for a wedding feast that was a party. It would be devastatingly shameful. In fact, some say it could be a sign <laughs> that the, wedding wasn't, uh, the marriage wasn't going to last too long. The atmosphere would have gone from joy to panic to dread in a moment. But today was not going to be an ordinary wedding because Jesus was there. Yes, there was a mess, but there was a miracle about to be in the mess. Verse 5, And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. These were servants. And it's funny here, and you know I like to, to, to look at the languages and stuff. The word servant here, most of the time we'd think these were slaves of the house. In other words, the ones that would wash your feet when you came in the house. The ones who would serve the meal and take care of everything and clean up after you left. But this word for servant is not doulos, which means slave. But this word for servant is diakonos, which we get our word deacon, or servant, or minister from. So probably the ones that, Jesus, that, that, uh, that Mary was talking to, these servants were probably family members or others of the community that the family had invited to come in and help them make the wedding work. To be basically to wait on them. To help them. It would be kind of like the ladies when you give a shower. You get all these ladies together to give a shower for one person. They're the servants. And Mary says to these servants, whatever He says to you, do it. 
Basically, these servants were volunteers. Look at verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, the volunteers, fill the water pots with water. Now these are twenty to thirty gallon stone pots. I looked up stone pot and it says usually they're honed out of solid stone. I don't think they had thin walls, so what I can tell you is a 20 or 30 gallon stone pot full of water, full of water, would have weighed a, not a ton, but close. I can pick up a milk jug. That's one gallon. Can you imagine a stone pot filled with 20 to 30 gallons of water? What would that weigh? Jesus says, go fill them up. I can imagine carrying it to the well would have been a chore, but carrying it, filling it up and carrying it back would even be double so. So it, it's not really making any sense, is it? She said they were out of wine, and you're saying, go get water. What are we going to do? I mean, they've already washed their hands. They've already purified themselves before they entered the house. They're a good Jew. Are they going to... Purify themselves again? What's, what's the deal? But I want you to note the next, the next words. And they filled them up to the brim. Then it gets ridiculous. Look at verse 8. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Now think about that for a moment. Don't overthink it. Just think about it. You're to draw some water... You draw some of the water from the ceremonial cleansing pot you just got through filling with water and take it to the headmaster and pour it into his wine glass. How many want to volunteer? This is one of those you've got to be kidding moments. I don't know that they said it out loud, but I can guarantee you they were thinking it. And look at the next word. And they took it. Verse 9. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know from where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Do you realize that the Scripture doesn't say until now that the water was made wine? We knew it because the heading in my Bible said it. We've heard the story. But can you imagine if you'd have been the volunteer and you had, and you now had what you had just drawn out of the water you had filled up just in that pot and now you're taking it to the master of the feast and you pour it in his glass and he tastes it and he says, call the bridegroom. How many of you would have said, can I leave now? I just did what I was told. This is one of those old crud moments. You see, they probably knew that you do water down the wine later, but no one will know. But to deliver just water would be the worst kind of embarrassment there could be. Then to hear... 
what verse 10 says, And he said to the bridegroom, to him, Every man at the beginning sets out to the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Mark the word now. You've kept the good wine until now. While the servants listened, probably in fear, they never expected what they heard. You saved the good wine until now. How many of you believe that those volunteers started looking for Jesus? Who was He that the master of the ceremony would now be bragging on the water they brought Him and saying it's the best of wine? Their mess just made a turnaround. Their shame was now joy. Okay, first principles. The, first, the principle of first mention. This miracle has some points to it that you've got to get in order for you to understand all the other miracles that Jesus is going to do. Let's look at them. Number one, miracles happen because Jesus cares about your mess. This miracle was not a necessity. They had just ran out of wine. I bet other families had run out of wine before. Running out of wine was a problem, but, but it wasn't life-threatening. Jesus' first miracle, listen to me, His first miracle was the solution to a non-critical problem. God is concerned with your non-critical messes. That means there's nothing too ordinary to look to Jesus about. He's just as concerned about your little mess as He is about the big messes that you've got yourself into. Miracles happen because Jesus cares about you and everything that's going on in your life. Number two, miracles happen when you trust Jesus to transform your mess. Let me ask you a question. Who trusted Jesus to work a miracle? Not the family, not the servants. Mary, she was the only one there that knew Jesus. The disciples were following Him, but she knew Him. So the faith for the miracle was not in the servants, not in the family. The faith for the miracle was in the mother of Jesus who just walked out and said, whatever He says to you, do it. Whatever He says to you, do it. They did it. Miracles happen when you trust Jesus in the middle of your mess. Number three, right? Three. Miracles happen and most people don't even get it. 
Notice that no one knew it was a miracle except Jesus, the servants, and the disciples. Jesus didn't work the miracle to gain the attention of the crowd. There's no mention of Jesus again. Did you notice that? No mention. You just have what he said. Jesus didn't work the miracle for the entertainment of the crowd. He's not like us. (laughs) You know, if we were going to have a miracle, we want everybody to know it. Story of Big John, who had been invited to church, and one time he decided he'd just go. He went to church, he sat in the back, and he listened attentively to the preacher preach, and the invitation was given, and Big John responded. He lumbered down the center aisle, took the preacher by the hand. The preacher asked him, Big John, what do you need? And Big John said, well, I need God to help me with my hearing. The preacher took Big John by the head, and he stuck a finger in one both ears, and he began to pray. And man, did he pray. He bound and loosed. He quoted Scripture. He reminded God of His greatness. He took His fingers out of Big John's ears. And he says, now how's your hearing? Big John said, I don't know. I'm supposed to appear Wednesday in the courthouse. <laughs> How often we want to see the sight. Listen to me. Every miracle that Jesus did was not for attention but for intention. He wanted people to know the Father's heart toward His people. Miracles happen all that you can't believe how many miracles are happening right now and most people don't even get it. You see, Jesus could have called for everyone's attention. He could have announced that, okay, y'all look, I'm about to turn water into wine. He could have been much more dramatic. He could have waved His hands over the water pots and then personally taken out of it, dipped out of it, and presented it to the master of the ceremony. That's what we would do. It wasn't about the attention. It was about the intention. Listen to me. God's going to work miracles in your life, not for attention of others but for intention for you to know Him. Number four. Now, remember, this is the principle of first mention. How this miracle, the principles of this miracle, is how you interpret every other miracle. Miracles provide more than enough for the mess. There were six jars containing between 20 and 30 gallons apiece. So that would have been at least 120 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. There's no way the guest at the end should have consumed that much wine. Why did Jesus give so much wine? Because He's an extravagant giver. He never gives just enough. Remember that. He never gives just enough. Most of us 
Tell him this, God, if you'll just get me out of my mess, I promise. And if you'll just do this this time, if you'll just do enough this time, I won't ever do this again, right? Let me tell you how God does miracles. It's always more than enough. Remember when they were on the the people had gathered listening to Jesus teach and they were about to send them away and they had not eaten? This group of 5,000? And Jesus said, what do you have? They said, we don't have anything. There is a lad here that has a lunch. Five loaves and two fishes. But what is that? It's a mess. We got a mess, Jesus. Jesus said, have them sit down in fifties. And Jesus took what everybody would have considered not enough. And He blessed it. And he broke it and began to hand this he began to hand it out to his servants, his disciples. And they served and they served and they served until all five thousand not only had eaten, but had eaten their fill. And Jesus says, Okay, you're not through. Gather up the fragments. Leftovers. How many of you remember what they got? Twelve basketfuls, more than enough. What looked like a mess became a miracle. Now, why did Jesus do it? Not because He could show off and gain the attention, but the intention. That's God saying to you and me this morning, I'm more than enough and I can do more than enough than you ever really think or believe if you'll just invite me. Invite me to your mess. If we're going to see miracles from messes, it means whatever He says to do, whatever He says to you, do it. Whatever He says to you, do it. You can obey Jesus when it's not reasonable, when it's not sensible, it's not even commendable. And we're going to have to believe Him when it looks unbelievable. Why? Because He's the Son of God who never leaves you, never forsakes you, and He can be trusted. He provides more than enough. Here's the main point. He didn't do this alone. He did it through servants. Volunteers. And I'm using that word specifically. Jesus could have supplied all the wine that was needed without involving these servants. He didn't need them. The servants didn't do the miracle. But their obedience played a major part. They participated. They are the ones that filled the water pots. They're the ones that drew it out. They're the ones that took it to the headmaster. They're the ones... that shared in the joy of the miracle. I bet their lives were changed that day too. Scripture, look at verse 11. This this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifest His glory and His disciples believed in Him. Now, in the Greek, this is a unique way of the disciples believed into Him. It can be translated, they believed into Him. And the def- definition of that is that, that they, 
gave absolute transference of trust from themselves to another, to Him, to draw upon and avail yourself of all that is offered in Him. They believed into Him. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning, what's going on in your life. You may be in a mess. You may be coming out of a mess. You may be headed for a mess. Mess happens. But I want to encourage you to look for Jesus in your mess right now. Perhaps you know somebody who's in a mess. Maybe you need to be a volunteer. That as you're praying for them, whatever He says to you, do it. You see, that's the key. It's not about the attention, about knowing what you've done. It's about the intention. For them to know Jesus. The key to miracles for messes is this. Whatever He says to you, just do it. And I know in a congregation of this size, there's some of us here that feel like your mess is beyond the miracle. Even for Jesus. Preacher, I've messed up so bad. I've messed up so many times. I've promised Him so many times. Let me tell you something I I saw this week that I've not seen before. It's in Moses' life. Moses in the Old Testament, remember Moses, the deliverer of Israel? You know, he was miraculously saved as a baby. He grew up in the luxury of Pharaoh's house. And he thought he could be the deliverer of his people, but he had failed He'd murdered a man and then he ran off into the desert. Now listen to me. He spent 40 years condemning himself and convincing himself that he was unworthy ever to be used of God again. But then he saw a bush burning and was not consumed. And he turned aside, the Scripture says, to go see it. Looked up the word bush. In the Hebrew, it means a thorny bush. When God cursed Adam's sin, He said the earth would give forth thorns and thistles, the bush. The curse of sin on the earth was the thorns. And this thorn bush was a fire with God and not consuming it, but was attracting others, including Moses. God speaks. God encounters Moses in this, we call it the burning bush, but I want to use another, in this burning thorn bush. The curse of sin. And all of a sudden, you see it. Moses had been in that desert seeing the curse of sin in his own life. He was the thorn bush. And God was giving him a picture Moses, come over here. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Moses, you may see yourself as no more than a thorn bush, but I want you to show. I'm about to set you on fire and deliver my people. Maybe you think you've gone too far. You've been so far out. It'll never, it'll never happen for you. I want you to know, no matter what the curse of sin on your life, Jesus died to set you free. You may be the very thorn bush that God's going to set on fire 
to burn for Him. No matter what mess you're in, no matter what mess you're headed for, look for Jesus. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that there's some of you that I believe with all my heart that need to believe into Jesus this morning. You need to transfer all your reliance on yourself and trust Him. Trust Him to forgive you. Trust Him to save you. Trust Him to make a new creation of you. God's not here to change your direction. He's here to change your life. He's not here to make you better. He's here to make you new. Scripture says in Romans 10, 13, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, healed, delivered, set free, set on fire. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that You would let us catch the miracle in the middle of our mess. Father, I'm asking You to pour out Your presence in a very special way to people who need to hear Your voice, feel Your touch, know Your presence right now. If you don't know Jesus, let me tell you how simple it is. It is as simple as saying, Jesus, I ask You, Forgive my sins. Come into my life. Make me a new creation. If you pray that prayer, He'll do it. There's many of us here that need to invite Him back into our mess. We've been so long worried about our mess, we've never thought about inviting Him into it. Invite Him. Because you can't imagine the miracles that you can experience when you invite Jesus to your mess. Father, in the name of Jesus, we invite You to move in our hearts and lives for Your name's sake and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand together with me? Mike and Jan are over in the corner. If you have any prayer needs or if you've asked Jesus to come into your life this morning, I pray that you would go over and talk with them. But for the rest of you, would you just give your attention to a new song this morning? As we close.
Looking back in hindsight, it's pretty easy to see where God showed up and did miracles in our lives. And here we stand today with stuff going on. We're like, boy, I hope he shows up. Man, I hope God will do it again. He is faithful. He is just. He is trustworthy. He always shows up. Man, something I saw today, first service didn't get this. Jesus Christ had this kind of mom that would show up to a wedding, start taking inventory and take over and try to fix problems. I never saw her that way. It was just a picture of a sweet woman holding a baby. Maybe there's people like that in your life. You think they're bossy. You think they're just going to take over. There could be miracles in that. Okay? Maybe you're that person. Let God use you to show up, take over, do inventory. And help God provide a miracle in your life. Man, that's good. A few quick announcements for before you go. Next Sunday, Mark Allen, the pastor of Life Fellowship Church in Athens, Texas, will be here to speak to you. He is a great speaker. Invite somebody to come hear him with you. You're going to enjoy it. Um, he's part of uh, TFAC Church that Pastor Chris has been in uh, uh, fellowship with. And uh, we've learned a lot from him. He's been here and talked to us, the staff, before. Uh, you're going to enjoy that. The men's skeet shoot to help support Lampasas area youth will be on March 26th. That's going to be at 8.30 in the morning. It's $25 a head, breakfast, tacos, all the skeet you can kill. A good time of fellowship. And because it was requested a little bit later on April, got to look at my notes here, April 9th for a lunch on a Saturday, it's going to be a married couple skeet shoot. So it's $25 a head for the men. It's $25 a couple for married couples. That's going to be a lunch. Luther's cooking brisket. Just pay $25, help the kids and come eat brisket. It's going to be a good time. There's only 15 sign up, uh, 15 people or couples allowed to sign up for the married couples deal. So come see me or Beth and Luther if you want to get a ticket for that. Lastly, this is looking far out, but I need to get the word out because I know some of you only come once or twice a month. By April 24th, if you know of a graduating senior this year that, that, would, that we could honor on Senior Sunday, which is May 15th, would you please let Amanda Allen or one of our staff know that that's somebody that we could, we could honor? And we need to know by the 24th because we want to have everything in a row and make it a thing of excellence for them. Okay? Let me pray for you real quick. Father God, you are amazing. You are faithful. You are true. And you always have exactly what I need. Father God, you always show up. You may not show off, but you give us exactly what we need. Help us walk in our faith. Give us strength to wait on you and your timing so that it will be perfect and do good for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 